The Rockonomics Podcast is brought to you by Brooks Bars, the delicious snack bars co-founded by the assistant strength coach and sports scientist for the Seattle Sounders Football Club. They're full of good and free of bad. They're gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and egg-free, and come in four delicious flavors. Apple pecan, apricot chocolate, cherry espresso, and original flavor. They fill you up and keep you full, and we love them here at Rockonomics. Get some of your own at select Whole Foods throughout the South and 150-plus retailers in 16 states. Find out where you can buy Brooks Bars, or better yet, have them delivered right to your door. Go to brooksbars.com. That's B-R-U-K-S-B-A-R-S dot com to find out more. is Rockonomics Podcast number three. I'm your host, Dill, with producer Nick Fry. We're here to explore some of the price tags and paychecks of the business that is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Today's guest is Doug Daniel. Doug is the president and CEO of ECE, a national and sometimes international entertainment booking agency. He has an interesting journey that has taken him from professional musician to booking agent to music licensing, uh, whatever you want to call that, music licensing pro, um, to the top job at ECE he enjoys now. He shares a lot of good insights, and uh, I'm sure he'll become a frequent guest on the show. I know there's a couple of rabbit holes I was tempted to go down uh, with him, but uh, for the sake of keeping things moving along, um, I had to refrain. So there's a lot to talk about, so let's get to it. Actually, the place I wanted to start was I was on your blog and you had 10 life lessons. And I think you need to forfeit two of them today while you talk to me. And they are, uh, number six was listen more, talk less. <laughs> I, need, I need you to do a lot of talking. <laughs> and uh, number seven was don't drop names and don't be a know-it-all. I, I need you to drop every name you got <laughs> and know everything I ask. So, um, yeah. So... Doug Daniel, thank you for being here on Rockonomics. Um, you are the president and CEO and executive managing director of ECE. You know they are uh, booking, production, touring um, nationwide. Uh, do you guys do you guys do beyond the states? We have we've uh, done quite a few international engagements. And anywhere in particular that like you know that. That seems to find you guys. Is we, it... we got on a roll with a, uh, a couple of rich oil guys. Uh, you know, we, we like rich, rich guys. Uh, <laughs> rich guys throw great birthday parties and uh, throw great uh, celebrations. And we got on a roll there with a, a couple of Saudi guys a few oh, years ago. That's amazing. It's funny. I, I think let, let's jump right into that. That's, you know, part of my notes I had. I figured that was going to come down the way, but that gets right into it. I, I know on your website, there's this... Uh, national talent 101 and it's kind of step-by-step how to book book talent and it just right away i'm just like how the heck do you get you know even if it's not an a-list guy and i saw you know some bands that are on there like smash mouth and uh um sticks and but just to have a one-off show i mean a backline and lights and all that stuff and i was reading stuff about the writer like how how on earth does i mean like i think you pointed out you have some saudi um, you know, oil barons, but it, what's, what's a 
ballpark of something like that than a run for just a for a birthday party birthday party of the rich of the rich it uh it, i mean it really runs up there our ideal uh partner in those situations are maybe people that buy less than 10 acts a year now, if you're buying more than 10 you you probably already have the relationships in new york and la and nashville uh and probably don't need somebody to hold your hand through a lot of that right but uh if you're doing a, a limited number of, of, of dates you're a festival you're uh, a rich guy that's throwing a uh, a nice uh, a nice birthday party, then it's overwhelming uh, to to think of the uh, just just the procurement alone, trying to get a reasonable price. Because if you don't have those relationships, you call Los Angeles and the price is immediately three times what what they normally would charge. Right. So to be able to tap into our relationships and then on the back end be able to provide uh, the service of holding somebody's hand and walking them through that process, so that. Uh, when they get that 84 page rider, it's not, uh, it's not something that, uh, is either a overwhelming or B something they screw up because it's 84 pages is a lot of room for air. You know, I, bet. I bet. Speaking of writers, you have any good, uh, writer stories? You know, that I think the thing that most people miss about writers, I mean, because we all know the, uh, uh green M&M stories and, yeah. uh, and, and those, those are, those are really wildly entertaining stories. But, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, uh, Imagine if uh, your job made uh, such that you had to travel every single week, and I and I would you know say to you like you know what you know when we leave this podcast, what are you going to go home and do? And you might turn on the TV and watch Sports Center. Uh, I'm a big fan of Goldfish and Cheez Its. I might eat a few of those. <laughs> um, but uh, if you're living on the road, you you know you don't have the option of opening your pantry and and pulling those out. And uh, to be able to have those creature comforts around you allow you to feel normal I mean, right. because everything about that you, you think about getting in a bus and loading in a bunk and driving from place to place and sleeping and not having any idea where you are the next day everything about that's not normal no normal relationships no normal grounding so a lot of those things in the riders just kind of make you make you feel normal yeah the yeah. other part i think is that uh you know if there's an 84 page rider and uh, uh three doors down back when they were awfully popular had uh, had a rider and uh it had extremely specifics about uh black uh calf length uh tube socks and had some very specific uh underwear and hanes underwear and had to be a certain color that's so funny and certain makeup and cotton and uh it, it, was, it, was, it was very detailed and and, and of course you do it uh, because the other part is that if you're an artist uh and you go into the dressing room and you see that uh, uh i paid attention to something right. on page 43 in paragraph two, where there was like two lines, and and that's right, then chances are, I probably handled all the other stuff on stage right. that, that you know truly makes for a good show. That's interesting. It's funny because the the whole Van Halen thing with no brown M and M's. That road manager just came out with a book. Yes, and he said it was just all to he he was saying no one's reading the writer, so let's let's put something in there that we know whether they're reading it or not. That's what he said. And that was his interesting. yeah. That was his little trick. I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't know if they've ever really trashed rooms because of it, but uh, that, was, that was the reason behind it. I would love to read that book. I know it just came out. <laughs> super excited to sit down and yeah, do that. Yeah, it sounds, uh, it sounds very interesting. We'll have to, we'll have to get him in. <laughs> um, but let's go, I guess, uh, let's go back. Let's go back to uh, kind of your beginnings. Um, you were saying before the show, you're from Richmond. I am. And then spent a good part of your life in Charlotte. Yes. Um, 
one thing the internet did give up was you were uh, UNC Charlotte. No, I'm sorry, UNC Chapel Hill. Yes. What'd you major in? Uh, you won't believe me if I tell you. <laughs> like medieval poetry. <laughs> Political science. I'm uh, very right. qualified to tell you who not to vote for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um, and tell me about uh, music in your life, because I know you're a, music you're a drummer and a guitarist. I, uh, I am. Which, I one's am. Come, which one comes first? Well, I made a living playing drums, okay. and uh, I picked up a lot of bad habits uh, traveling and being on the road. One of the worst habits I think I picked up was playing guitar. <laughs> so uh, as, uh, as later in life, uh, the, the cool thing about it is that uh, I, you know, I, I chose the wrong instrument. It takes a lot of work to lug all that stuff around. Oh, yeah. So um, now... I can leave a few guitars sitting around in conspicuous places in the house that I might trip over, which forces me to pick them up and play them, and uh, makes a lot less noise and uh, a lot less uh, space. That's funny. Well, you're, I'm a fellow drummer, and I think part of this uh, this podcast goes way back to you know um, my first experience, um, because when you go home and you say, "Mom and Dad, I've discovered Kiss." There's a a, a guy in cat makeup, and he plays a pearl drum kit. And it's probably about eight hundred dollars, you know. Right, right away, it's like here's your first lesson. You know, you're not going to get that. You know, so how how did you get into drumming? Was it part of you know? Uh, I remember you know my elementary school was the first place I would take lessons in. But how about for yourself? How did how did you uh, fall in love with the drums? Well, I'll uh, I'll go back to that uh, that Van Halen. Uh, nice. for a second and tell you when when uh when i was uh when i was, I was little you know uh, i guess just a teenager maybe right before i turned in my teens i uh i saw him play at the charlotte coliseum and uh, uh dave uh dave was drunk and <laughs> falling down Shocker. Uh, <laughs> i'm not sure he knew where he was um uh, and uh it and it was everything rock music is supposed to be and it, don't get me wrong i like a lot of forms of music uh rock is just one of them right. you know rock is always supposed to be a little dangerous, a little edgy, supposed to make you feel a little uncomfortable. And that show was, you know, it was all that. Do you remember what tour, was that the Diver Down tour or what, what, what album? You yeah. have to remember. Yeah, it might have been, uh, what was the record that came out that had the, uh, the, the brown cover, mean, mean Streets or? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was yeah, yeah. Was it, was, uh, Di um, it was, um, oh my gosh, it'll come to me. It was, uh, there were a million amps on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, uh, that's a great Four bass story. drums, uh, stripe bass. Uh, fair yeah. warning, I think it was. Was yes. it fair warning? Yeah. That's exactly. Good job. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, it, it changed my life. I mean, I've, I've been screwed up ever since. That's, that's... Um, and it was, uh, it, again, it was loud and it was dangerous and felt edgy. And again, all the things that, uh, and you know, you, you say rock. I mean, I, I could easily put, you know, NWA in there. You know, it's, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the same kind of way that's, it's very rock and roll. It's, uh, challenges the norm it makes you feel uncomfortable it's uh yeah. again, it's what rock's supposed to be it's all an evolution that that i, I don't want i want to jump the track for just, for just for a second but like the hall of uh music hall of fame you know they always have this debate whether rap belongs in the rock and roll hall of fame i'm assuming your answer is yes absolutely yeah i agree i mean it's just a, it's just an evolution and um you know much like everything else much like how rock and roll was an evolution of the blues yeah, I hate to see it pigeonholed into uh, a certain type power chord or a certain type uh, melody. It uh, again, it, it, it rock and roll feels like a feeling to me. Feels like uh, spirit. Feels like something that uh, is about the music, but also about some other things. So yeah, for that reason, a million times yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry to uh, skip around, but uh, so back to the the Van Halen show. 
Was that, was that one of your first rock shows? It, it was. Okay. I, probably not my first show. I think my first show, I think my mom and dad took me to go see Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. <laughs> uh, and that was, uh, that was awesome in its own right. Not very totally. rock and roll. But, totally. Uh, it, it was great. Uh, yeah, my parents took me to Olivia Newton-John back when she was like a country singer before she went pop. My mom was all. My mom was super into music growing up. If I, my earliest memories of uh, music, I can remember sitting uh, on the floor with records, and my mom playing. And I'm sure they were all awful records, but they were playing records, and uh, we would tell these stories. You know, hey, what do you see going on in this song? And we, you know, what, what do you? And so, from a very early age, uh, music, and then the mental Im- imagery of, of yeah. what uh, it, was, it all, you know, kind of blurred together in my head. Yeah, totally. Uh, again, I was screwed up from the beginning. So. <laughs> hey, we we all are. That's what we're doing here. Mom and Dad did buy me a drum set, though, so that uh, that made life easier once I got to be a little bit older. And, and uh, in fact, it uh, it's uh, I still have it. I just took it to uh, a guy, a friend of mine, in uh, close to Greenville, South Carolina, that reconditions drums. He buys uh, and sells drums. He um, actually builds custom drums for lots of great bands, Blackberry Smoke being being one. Um, and uh, so I have a 1967 uh, premiere kit. Wow! And nice. 67 was the last year they made those uh, hoops in uh, metric sizes. So it's a little odd thing to have. I'm not sure that a ton of people collect premiere like they do Ludwig or Slingerland or right. Rogers or some of those drums. But uh, it means a lot to me. You know, it was my first kit. When my mom and dad, you know, splurged and uh, and bought me. And I remember when I first went and saw it, and I sat down and played it and. And this grin that went from like this year to <laughs> this year, and I couldn't stop. A little five piece, or what was the? Yeah, it was a little it? four piece. Uh, uh, so rack, rack tom, uh, floor tom, small bass, like twenty two inch, uh, you know, ish. Because again, yeah. the metric size is then a then a snare. That's awesome. Um, how did you learn? Did you take private lessons or to school or? I did. I didn't didn't through school. Uh, took a few private lessons. Had uh, other friends that played and. Mm-hmm. Uh, had good influences, and then uh, uh, just put uh, put a lot of time in. And I thought that, uh, you know, now you, you look at people that, that, that play, it's like you, you could pull up on YouTube now and probably yeah. get an incredible oh lesson. Gosh. Totally. Um, but at the time, you, you really had to connect with people, Yeah. Which, which was awesome because when you connect with people, you would find out who their influences were, who they listened to. And so a lot of my uh, library or catalog of music in my head, you know, has come from people that helped me play, helped me become better. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's a hard thing to find now. You, you're not as encouraged to connect like that. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, so how did, uh, how did, uh, become getting into a band, um, come to be? So it, uh, it, it started out as, uh, fun things that you do with friends and, uh, you, uh, overindulge in, in a, in a few extra beers and, uh, and, and you play clubs where they, they pay you in, uh, in pictures of beer and, <laughs> I uh, still have no idea how I've made it out of some of those places, but, uh, uh, you know, that, that, w- that was, that was fun. You know, a, a big, uh, a big tipping point for me was that, uh, there was, there was a point in my life where I was only playing music for fun. And then, uh, after school, when I wanted to make a living doing that, it became more commerce and, mm-hmm. and both were great, just completely different because it went from this thing where I was doing it with friends and it didn't matter if I got paid in uh, in my bar tab right. to, you know, it's a job. It's a job. We expect you to be here at this time each day and practice these songs and learn these songs and go out and play these songs. And, uh, you know, like it should be, those those people held me accountable in the, in the way they should have. 
right? So did you, were you, did you go, you know, I guess go for it after college? Did you leave college with a degree and then say, I'm going to give this a shot before I do anything else? Did it. Uh, the the poli-sci degree always felt like a means to an end in that uh, I was very uh, torn about going into to law and going to law school. And I felt like that, uh, not that the world needed another attorney, but uh, the music part of that, uh, it would give me uh, a leg up in being able to then establish a career as a, uh, as a manager mm-hmm. or somebody in the music business. Uh, that legal background, that critical thinking, and that degree would, would help me. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately, at the time, I had some success with some bands I was playing in. And so it, um, uh, you know, I, I thought, well, hey, you know, the, the, the typical law school student isn't necessarily the 21 or 22-year-old, but sometimes 25 or 26-year-old. So I, I can go do this. It's probably not going to be a lot of time in my life to do this. Again, I can't say it enough. My mom and dad, who did two things in life, you know, let me go do all these things, uh, but also let me listen to anything. Right. You know, my, I, I can um, the stuff I would come home and listen to when I was in when I was in high school. It like blows my mind that they were like okay and cool with any of that. <laughs> but uh, they, but they were they were and they were okay and cool when when I said, hey, look, you know, I, the end game may be to come back for law school, but right now, you know, this feels right to me, and I feel like I can make money doing this, and I feel like it's the right time to do it. And you know, my mom and dad were like, you're a hundred percent right. You know, go go do that. Great folks, I tell you, very lucky. Um, but I'm sorry, you, so you kind of had that goal of you would go to law school, but it would be a music career. You'd be like, in, go, go into artist management. Yes. Okay. A hundred percent. Okay. Um, what, what was going on in the music scene when, when you were in it? It, uh, you know, it, it was tough, even from the business side. It, uh, you know, now there, there are really great schools that have music business programs and it's, but you know, people are more aware that it's a business, you know, I, I'm coming an older guy. I mean, yeah. when, when I was coming through school, that wasn't available. You I mean, it was very much a, you had to figure it out on your own. Obviously relationships are key. And so I started thinking as I was having success playing music, well, you know, I may come back and, and go do the law school thing, but who knows if I can figure out then after I do that, how to then position myself into one of these music business jobs, a management job, those kind of things. And, and the reality is I'm, I'm sure I would have, you know, and, and it, uh, I'm sure it would have worked out, uh, worked out great. But again, the bands were having some success. Um, since uh, I, I was trying to make a living doing it, uh, I became really good at uh, either uh, going from one band to another to, to try to better myself mm-hmm. or playing in multiple situations so that I could then have a steady income. You know, a big lesson for me, I was out in Los Angeles and spending some time out there, and um, I, I would run into amazing players. They were way better than me. I mean, absolutely amazing players. And uh, and they would tell these great stories. Hey, I just got off the road with uh, one of Janet Jackson. Uh, hey, I just got off the road with uh, this this rock tour, Bob Seger. And, uh, and, and I asked, I was like, Hey, was that amazing? Absolutely. It was amazing. We played all these great places. We lived in a bus, you know, all this stuff we, we all know. Uh, and then as I was talking to them, I realized they're unemployed. Yeah. Um, it's a freelance, uh, it's a freelance gig. And, and like actors and actresses, uh, you know, they're, you're, you're all unemployed. You're waiting for, you're hunting for the next gig. And, you know, wow. That, and that was just, you know, that was a, that was a load of bricks for me. I was like, man, that, that's rough. Yeah. You know, cause these guys are really, really good. Um, and the stress of, of that, it, it made an impact on me. And it, you know what that all adds up to into where I, I got to, I, I don't know, but I remember, I remember the time that really made an impact on me. Um, were you, were you looking to be, a, a 
drums for hire or or were you trying to step you know establish yourself with a band and try to get a deal like what was the what was your you know ideal scenario yeah uh, you know i think everybody's ideal scenario is that uh you write great music people pay attention to it and you ride off in the sunset um at the at the time uh, i had I had several friends that uh, that were uh pretty successful uh none of the bands i was in had that kind of success uh to get signed to a record deal and then a lot of the deals were really bad deals where you were in right. bed with them for a three record deal uh they front all this money to you to then go into the studio uh, to pay all your tour expenses you, you, they never saw any money even with moderate success right and so and so that that made an impact on me so i, I think as i saw more of that i think i kind of gravitated away from hey trying to then um you know run the game that way right because even if you didn't have that you know the, the there's a big disparity there the, the clubs there are the places that you could could play would hire you for 50 bucks in a case of beer if you played original music or you get to this other place and then try to play that play that game. Where I found that that, that was if I was playing as a higher gun, then pers- just personally I, c- I could make two or three hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and uh, you know a, a gig, and then uh, have more money in my pocket. Maybe have more time to pursue some original things. But uh, but but that sacrifice, you know, it it felt like the right thing to do. It felt like the right thing to do to to maybe uh, play other people's music a little bit more because that's again that's what people are going to pay for. Right. Uh, to then be able to support myself and then figure the next step out. So what eventually led to the, ne- was the next step uh, law school or what was the next step? It wasn't. It, uh, <laughs> the next step, I think, was that uh, after uh, after a bunch of years of that, I, th- I think I, uh, I think I remember the day I, I came home and uh, I got a haircut and uh, <laughs> I... Uh, Were I you made, full rock star at this point? Like long hair? And, it was, uh, yeah, in, in fact, I'll tell you a funny story. My, uh, I, I have three, three children. My, my oldest son is 14 now. When he was little, uh, there, there happened to be some of these, you know, promo publicity shots sitting right. around and uh, he, he sees one of them and he grabs it off the table and he runs over to me. He's like, Who's this lady, Daddy? That's your dad. <laughs> He doesn't think any worse, but uh, yeah, there it, uh, it it was uh, so it was a big deal. Yeah, getting a haircut and uh, and coming in and stopping off the road and uh, you know going from uh, traveling and, and and beating on things with sticks and people pay you to you know, sit in the hot tub during the day to I got I got to figure something out. Yeah. So I I put a bunch of resumes out. Uh, one of the resumes I put out was uh, East Coast Entertainment, which now is EC, which which is where I am. I didn't hear right back from them. Um, I think I'm officially the only person to ever fail the aptitude test at, uh, I think it was nationwide. I, I interviewed for a claims adjuster position, <laughs> and I was told you had to take a test, you know, apt- not not to, not to get the gig or not, but just to figure out where you land. Right. And I was like, hey, you know what? I've been drinking beer, hanging out, playing drums for a long time. I don't <laughs> think I'm the test kind of guy. And, it's, and my friend said, oh, look, absolutely. Nobody's ever failed. They just want to know where you fit in. <laughs> And sure enough, about a week and a half later, I got a letter saying I passed the test. It was the first time for everything. Right. So thank goodness I'm not a claims adjuster. Whatever <laughs> insurance firm there was. Total blessing in disguise. So how long was it um, after, how long were you at it um, in the music, trying to make a go at it as a drummer, professional musician before you, you know? Yeah, probably five or six years. Five or six years. Five or six years. And then, uh, and then uh, around that time, I got a call from, from East Coast. And uh, said, uh, hey, we'd like you to come in and, and, and find out what this whole deal is about. And, of course, I, I knew about East Coast because they had been around uh, East Coast 
started in 1976. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was looking, uh, you know, they'd been around for a while and had, very familiar with the bands that they had, they had booked. So did you, you took a job with them? I did. Um, and did that last for the first time you were there? It was about eight years, was it? Yeah, I was there, um, let's see. Yeah, exactly eight years. Yep. And what would... Um, in what capacity would you do when you first started there? I mean, did you did they teach you everything you needed to know and you know kind of learn the ropes? That... Yeah, you know, we we uh, we've never really been great at a, at an official training program. So there there were phones and uh, back then there were uh, phone books right. and uh, and eventually computers that uh, uh, that everybody used. And so um, I, I started out as a uh, mainly an admin person assisting other agents that were there. And uh, helping with their book of business, and then it, at some point, it, um, it got to a point where I had enough relationships built up that I could then work uh, on my own with uh, my own uh, book of accounts. Okay, um, I just wanted. There's one note I have. Did you work at ASCAP? Or I you did. Music like was that before it, or was that while you were? That um... was that was after I was at East Coast the first time. Oh, okay, so that was so you went East Coast, then you went to ASCAP. I did. Um, how long did that last? I was there about a year and a half. And which, uh, what years was that? Was that in it was 2000? 2000 to 2001. So interesting time. That's when kind of the uh, Napster, iTunes, digital music was going to eventually, you know, turn the music business on its head. Now, what was in the air back then when you were, you know, working in the business or working on licensing specifically in the business? I really, really enjoyed my my time with ASCAP. I'll tell anybody. I, I think, and there are, there are two other PROs, BMI and, and CSAC, but uh, the ASCAP group is uh, very good to me and really great people. And it's changed a lot since then. But uh, I, I gained a uh, an incredible respect for the work, and I, and I use the word literally work that uh, songwriters uh, put in and how successful and getting a front row seat for you know what goes on in Nashville and. Um, is that where it was? That where it was based? I actually worked or? out of the Atlanta office. Okay. It was an Atlanta and a Manhattan office that were the closest offices, in addition to that uh, Nashville office. And and I was more with uh, the uh, the public performance, so uh, not as much sync rights and uh, you know the, what you would typically hear about what was going on in Napster and, and file sharing. Uh, but we, we would talk a lot about that because uh, it, it was uh, it was at, at a time where you know, technology. Uh, was uh, it's still kind of the wild west, you know. The rock stars of today are kind of a lot of the technology people uh, that, you know, have been able to to, to change the way we we do a lot of things in life. And um, uh, at the time, um, I, I think the ASCAP people, the public performance, uh, they weren't as concerned about about the technology, but because they they were really seeing uh, their friends in the recording industry really struggle, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's it's un, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, not that my opinion, you know, means everything, but, you know, at, at the time, you, know, you look back at that and you think, well, instead of suing your customers, you know, it wouldn't have been much better just to put your catalog on a mainframe computer and allow people to have access to it. Right. But the recording industry made so many mistakes, you know, when they went through that and it's wound up where it is now where they've lost control of all distribution. And, you know, mm. if you had told me, I'll pick my phone up here, I know you Nobody can see that, but you know, if you told me as a little kid that I could walk around with Spotify and gain access to any song that came to my mind, you know, instantaneously, I, I, I would have said that that's going to be the greatest day of my life. <laughs> sure. I would have thought you were going to say no way. <laughs> um, what, so I'm sorry. What did you do? What, what do you call it that you handled at ASCAP? The performance rights. 
did. It, they they uh, dealt with the public performance rights. So anything from radio stations to clubs and bars and restaurants that play recorded music, um, they... Uh, uh, you get a royalty of some sort or some calculation right. of... It's like the, if the two of us wrote a song later today, um, you know, it, it would be our, our property, be intellectual property, not, not real property, but like real property, like our house or car. If somebody wanted to use that house or car, they'd have to ask our permission and pay an agreed upon royalty. So ASCAP, like the other two PROs, are basically clearing houses so that uh, instead of hunting down Tim and Doug to right. get our permission, then you would have access to their entire catalog of music. And I was the guy that they would send in after you'd probably been in the system for maybe two or three years and thumbed your nose at it and said, hey, we're not going to pay this thing. And everybody winds up in court. And so ASCAP said, well, you know, we, we, we feel like that we would owe you at least the uh, opportunity to have somebody from ASCAP walk through your door and explain this thing to you that sounds so crazy. And so I was the guy, which basically is a long-winded say, the way to say, you know, I got kicked out of a lot of bars. I got that gun pulled on me. I got chased out of a parking lot. You know, you're not, you're not really a popular guy when you're walking in saying that, hey, you're going to you know, owe, you know, $500 for that Hank Williams Jr. song. You're the Junior tax song. collector of the music industry. There, there you go. <laughs> right. Interesting, interesting. Um, so from there, you went to the uh, do your own thing. I did. Is that correct? How, what was the impetus to, to that? Well, it, you know, I really enjoyed my time at East coast. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, when, when people leave jobs, they don't ever leave for one reason. They leave for a bunch of reasons. Um, and, and you know, the, the company was going in a direction at the time that I, I didn't really feel like was, was the direction I really wanted to, 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 to pursue. Uh, but I, I really liked the business and I really, I, I enjoyed that. I had great relationships that I had established over the years and, uh, I was very careful not to, uh, take advantage of any opportunity, uh, with East coast clients because, you know, I, again, I had a lot of respect for my years that were there. Uh, but I, my phone started ringing and a lot of people, you know, started saying, Hey, look, we, we really like you to continue to help us with our live entertainment needs. Mm-hmm. Um, it coincided a little bit, you know, it, it's interesting, Tim, we, that you brought up about, you know, Napster and the change in, in technology. You know, I, I've always felt like I felt and I felt like at the time, especially having a front row seat for a little bit of that with ASCAP, that um, live music, you can't replicate that, you know, in the yeah. same kind of way. It, it, it can't be delivered in a different way. And so uh, as I was at that crossroads in my life, I thought, hey, to get back in the live music business, you know, felt like a, a good, prudent move. Uh, the technology wasn't as rapidly uh, escalating like it was in, in, say, the recording industry. And so um, I thought, thought that made sense. Uh, and unfortunately, I picked 2001 right before some people ran some planes into some buildings. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, that's true. That was not, not the smartest timing in the world. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you can survive, you know, if you can survive the, the lean times, you know, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of businesses that, that, that start when the economy is bad, they're the ones that, you know, survive. So how did... Um, how did it go? How were the first, you know, how long did you have it for before you, I know you merged back with uh, ECE. Eight years. So eight years. How were the first couple of years? They were rough. They were rough. <laughs> I was working out of my home. I, I realized I needed help. And uh, I brought into, I was the master, I was the master of two things, interns and then bringing friends along. So I, I would go for, for, for uh, meetings and there would be high level meetings where I know it was important and, and my competition was going to abuse me on their size and uh strength and all these things so I, I would i would bring my friends along and I, i'd pay them in, in beer if you just sit there and take notes uh with me at these meetings and dress up and wear a tie then uh uh you know i would create this image that uh, my company is much larger than it, than it really was 
but they were they were they were tough years uh, for for sure did you were you married with children at that point i was married i had uh, my oldest boy yes okay so yeah there's a lot of pressure yeah pressure going on yeah that's right a lot of a lot of people looking at looking at dad to produce <laughs> um did you have a big break or was there a big year is there one hump you had to get over that kind of uh paved the way or just a s- slow and steady uh there are a lot of people. A lot of people really helped me. Um, not not the least of which is that um, I, uh, I have a good friend that uh, works um, and, and produces has an event business and produces events uh, a, a lot with NASCAR. Okay. And um, and very fortunate to, to me, but because of the time, it uh, I wanted to not just stay in the lane that I was in, but you know explore all the lanes and figure out you know where where my opportunities are. And uh, when it came to production, that w- that was something I lacked. And so I-, I came to my friend and I said, look, you know, pay me very little, uh, just expenses. But I would like to go with you to these NASCAR tracks and help you produce the events that go on and off these tracks. And whether that's climbing, it doesn't have to be to do to the live entertainment. I'll climb the scaffold. I'll help you. And, and still to this day, it's still one of the-, the most cool production things that you'll ever witness. Right. That- uh, these concerts go on before these races, and and then somebody snaps their fingers, and then all these flatbed trucks with all this staging, all this backline production hanging, it it all goes away within ten minutes. And the lights go on, and people say start your engine, and it, the race happens. It's it's it's, cra- it's crazy logistics to see that happen, and so to have a front row seat for that and to learn from from that, you know that was that was awesome. Yeah, that's and great. I think that you know that that that, that relationship led to some other opportunities. Um, and again, for, fortunately for me, again, I didn't pick up the call, the phone and call a lot of people that, that I had worked with in the past because I just didn't feel like that was ethically just didn't morally feel like the right thing to do. But as you know, I was in business for a longer period of time. People found me, which right. is very nice. And, uh, I enjoyed picking up those calls and rekindling some friendships and all worked out. Okay. Sounds good. So how did, um, you know, how did it eventually evolve into a merger with your first company? I like to think that I made him mad enough that eventually, yeah. <laughs> I like if, you can't, if you can't beat him, you got to <laughs> join him. I like, to, I like to think that. It might be some other things going on. But, uh, yeah, we competed against each other, and it was okay. And, you know, I, I tried to do that as fairly as possible. And Charlotte's not a huge market, so we got outside of Charlotte and booked business in, in other parts of the country. Um, and the reality is that, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of opportunity. And, and a, for what we do, a lot of places to uh, to, to go. And so, you know, I always felt like that there was more than enough opportunity for us both and mm-hmm. other companies to coexist, but um, I, I think that at the time East Coast is uh, is, in, is still in a little bit of a transition, and I think that uh, um, if I were to guess, they, they possibly said, "Hey, look, there's there's the business part of this because we're competing right now, but there's also uh, the idea that um, you know, we've been around for 40 years, not quite 40 at the time, but we right. we've been around a while, and a lot of our uh, partners are uh, are getting ready to retire mm-hmm. and that uh, that opens up uh, a need for us to have future leadership and people that can step in um, I was probably an easy target because I knew the business already I knew their company already and uh, and, and possibly represented some uh, some some ideals like like that that went beyond maybe the business part mm-hmm. what are some of the things I guess as we you know here we are in 2017 what are some of the things that excite you about the future of you know, what you're doing and, you know, what's happening, you know, in the industry today. I, I really stand by the uh, the idea that you just can't replicate the live music experience. And we're fortunate in that we 
we work with so many different kinds of jobs from people getting married to festivals to college events to corporate events um to again the the one percent of the one percent guys that throw these great parties for their wife for their birthday right. um but having a fro receipt for that and and seeing you know the impact that 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 makes it, it uh even the funny stories. I mean, it, that 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 all is uh, is 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 incredible. Um, uh, and I, I could give you an answer about internally what that means. And uh, I think right now we have such an influx of late twenty-year-olds, actually all twenty-year-olds, uh, early thirties, um, and, and and you know, for us to have young talent under our roof that really enjoy this, that have a passion for this, that have a drive for this, and really feel like this can be a career for them, that. that it feels pretty awesome. Yeah. It feels pretty awesome to, to play a role in, uh, in, in guiding that and to have, uh, the idea that, you know, those people are going to be, you know, with us for a long time and hopefully the next 40 years. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, that you put so so much onus on live music, you know, and rightly so. It's just, I I feel like, I feel like the industry has evolved, especially for the artists to make money. You got to hit the road. Paradigm's totally changed. You know, there's no record sales anymore. It's all, it's all performance. Completely gone away. Completely yeah. gone. Maybe a little bit of merchandising, maybe some licensing uh, yeah. for songwriting, but yeah, it's all in the live music. Yeah. Um, so I, I, got, I have just a couple of questions about um, again going back to the site, and you mentioned it. You know, you guys, you guys will book, you know, an A-lister for a you know Saudi chic, but also you, you have a wedding um, division. Um, you know, every you know size and scope, you guys can do it all. Um, I'm curious about these guys that are guys and girls that are making a living as musicians, um, either the wedding bands, or I know you guys had like a, you've got the eighties, you know, the eighties hits bands. Uh, is that, is that a full-time gig for those guys or is that supplemental or, I mean, they're, they're doing all right, aren't they? If you're, if you're an A-list wedding band, you're killing it more or less, aren't you? Some really are. We, we have, I think at last count, we have 173 exclusive bands. Uh, which or artists, which which means that if uh, anywhere in the country, if you wanted one of those artists, you would have to call one of our offices. Right, um, and we we value those exclusive relationships. You know, it used to be when I was at East Coast the first time, uh, a lot of bands uh, were uh, were exclusive with East Coast because they felt like they had to be to get to best jobs. You know, if I want to play that uh, particular festival, I need to be exclusive with East Coast, so they'll pitch me in there, put me in there. And uh, and now bands have so many vehicles in place to then drive their own success and their own careers. They really don't have to be exclusive with anybody. So it's totally changed the paradigm for us. We we now spend a tremendous amount of time creating something within ECE that is so valuable that people bands would say, "Why wouldn't I be exclusive? This this makes total sense." Whether that's access to marketing or access to capital to shoot promo or access to expert advice from fashion advice to filmmakers. Uh, you know, we feel like that uh, those values uh, are going to be really, really uh, great for these artists as they uh, uh, as they hopefully build their careers. And, and yes, some of them, uh, this is all they do. And you know, I, I take that very seriously. You know, like 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 us here at the table. I mean, they're families that count on those guys to bring money in and uh, to be able to to pay their mortgages and eat. And you know, we we play a role in that kind of feels like the ASCAP thing you know the songwriters it, it, it feel it feels like that relationship is very important to me to make sure that these people have the opportunity to then uh, support their families and uh, for us to do our job to, to help them mm-hmm. yeah I mean it's 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 just interesting that you know I think um, in doing this podcast a lot of it you know from our perspective is you know let's let's talk to these people that are 
you know, they're on the road, they're touring, you know, they're going through the country, they're doing their own songs, this and that. But, I mean, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole other, you know, pipeline for working musicians to, to make a, to make a, a good living. You know, I, I you know, I, I go back to the wedding thing because I know a couple of wedding photographers and, you know, if you prove yourself, you know, you're busy, you know, there's 52 weeks, weekends in a year, you can, you probably have to turn them down to, you know, to take a few off. I'm, I'm sure it's got to be the same way for some of these, uh, you know, wedding bands and, and party bands. It is. It's, uh, it's, it's really great for, uh, for, for those guys. Um, uh, and then the really successful ones, um, but, uh, you know, you're, you're correct at, uh, at cocktail parties, people will say, well, Hey, great. You know, tell me about EC. What do you guys do? So I, you know, give them a little elevator pitch and like, okay, well, the next thing they say is like, you know, what bands are you, you representing? They expect me to come up with these. I was like, you don't know any of our bands. <laughs> They're bands that make an incredible living and do really well and support their families. And they're playing again, you know, festivals, private parties, corporate events, uh, you know, places where you're not necessarily, you know, associating with household names. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, um, we wrap up every show with what we call the final five, and it's just five, five questions that everybody gets, that you know, every guest gets. Um, so let's do that. Let's do that right now. I'm excited about that. <laughs> I should actually probably give these in advance so you can have time to think about it. Um, now I'm nervous about them. Nah. But the first, the first question is the what's he your felon aptitude test? There's no right, there's <laughs> right. no right or wrong answer. <laughs> That's right. I've heard that before once or twice. <laughs> Uh, the first question is, what's your most extravagant purchase that's surrounding music? So whether it's a collectible album or a piece of equipment or a, you know, scalping a concert seat or whatever it may be. So um, it's certainly not the most expensive item, but uh, I grew up going to shows at uh, what's now the Bojangles Arena. Okay. And in fact, I mentioned that Van Halen show. And uh, a couple of years back, uh, the city was going to renovate the building. And they were going to auction off seats out of there. And I, I called my wife because normally I keep a little stash of money. Uh, it's a revolving stash. And that way I can buy a guitar. If I sell a guitar, I can put back in that stash. But it's, a, it's I won't tell you where it is either. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it sits in, uh, in a spot that uh, I can, uh, uh, again, n- not uh, waste it on paying bills, but use it on, on fun music purchases. So, but I said to my wife, I said, hey, I'm going to use a couple dollars out of this thing. You know, are you, are you cool that I, I buy a couple seats out of the old arena? She's like, well, how much do you think they're going to be? I said, well, uh, I don't know, maybe three, four hundred dollars. I'm, 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 I'm not really sure, uh, but I got to I got to I got I to gotta put my name in to, to see. So just like any concert ticket, they go on sale at like 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> and I go online at 10 uh, to to buy them. And uh, they said they sell a, a set of of three for like $65 instead of two for like $45. They're like, I'm in. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll take, I'll take four. I'll take a couple rows. <laughs> the, the, the only key was you had to, you had to go pick them up yourself. But, yeah. uh, so I, I bought three seats out of the old arena and you know, for me, man, it, uh, I look at them, I have them in my office. I look at them every day and I think all the times I probably stood in those seats and saw a band that, uh, meant, meant something to me that, other than the personal things that, uh, and photos and uh, things you have that, you know, that, that to me means it means the most. Yeah, no, that's great. I love that. Um, second question is, uh, I'm going to give you a million dollars. You have to give it to one charity. What's uh, who's the charity? You know, it, it uh, the, the people with uh, Second Harvest Food Bank here in Charlotte. It uh, they do a great job. I've been involved with their Taste of the Nation fundraiser the past bunch of years. Uh, it, it boggles my mind that 
you know, we're going to leave here and go home and somebody's not eating. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like it's the most basic thing ever. And I take for granted. I mean, I, I try to be very, very cognizant of the gifts I have. I'm, you know, I'm the last guy anybody should feel sorry for. My life's turned out really, really great. Uh, I have a wonderful family. My career's, you know, doing, doing great. Um, and I try not to take it for granted, but honestly, I go home and I, I just can't believe people don't eat. Yeah. No, it's right here yeah. in our community. And I'm sure there's lots of people overseas with needs in other areas. Look, I'm sure that there's a lot of great, but it's amazing that people go home and don't eat. I can't believe it. Yeah. That's good. That's a good one. We uh, had a couple of guests struggle with that one. <laughs> it's like, where's your heart? Um, on a lighter note, so you live a good long life. You pass at a ripe old age. Um, much like a baseball walk-up, when the player walks up, he has walk-up music. But your walk-up music to the pearly gates. Walk-up music? Wow, really? <laughs> Man, that's, t- that's going to stump me for a second. <laughs> that uh, has to be something pretty heavy, right? Uh, no, just what, you know, if you're, I mean... Think of it. Think of it in the baseball lingo. If you're going up to bat, just the, you know, the going up to the pearly gates, you just you know might might carry a little bit more uh, weight. But so if I, still... I choose something like turn down for what? I haven't really yeah. considered the <laughs> question <laughs> quite heavy enough. That's perfect. <laughs> that's, that's great. Perfect. That is perfect. So on the flip side of that, if things don't turn out all uh, you know as you planned, what stu- what song is stuck on repeat in hell? Oh man, it would. Uh, it would have to be something by train, probably. Oh, no, you're kidding me. And I'm probably the only guy that's going to say that, which is why I'm going on a limb saying that. But uh, I think that, uh, and hopefully you won't send them my personal emails for hate hate mails, but it, it's everything that's wrong with rock music. It's uh, pedestrian, white bread, not offensive, it's for the masses, uh, it's bubble gum, not making much of a statement. I'm sure they're great musicians, but man, I don't want to hear it when I'm not here. I think I saw them on your site. <laughs> again don't, don't where's this gonna be broadcast <laughs> hopefully just the globe just the world um and question number five uh we've been struggling with it keeps changing but I, th- this we'll, we'll go with best concert for you because i know you've had a, a tremendous amount of experience with what you seeing a lot of unique acts and having some uh um so what's uh best concert of all time or best you know music live music experience of all time you you would probably want me to say something that I produced and something that I was a, was a part of. You have to know that I'm the guy that uh, doesn't want to meet his heroes. Uh, it makes makes me weird. I'm, I'm very atypical in my in my business, but uh, I'm the guy running away from opportunities to meet to do that. these guys. Just because I grew up with such a mental imagery, um, take uh, uh, Donald Fagan, for example. I grew up mm-hmm. a big big Steely Dan fan, but I, in my in my mind, I have. Donald Fagan built up as this carmudgeony, grizzled, angry. <laughs> I was going to say I've, I've heard stories, <laughs> and it's like if I met him and he was like nice and friendly, it would ruin everything. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to say a show that I've been a part of, and, and I've been very lucky to meet a lot of people and to have a lot of great experiences. And I, it, at the end of the day, you talk about walk up music. At the end of the day, if I if I live a life where I show up and I'm a good friend and a good father and good wife, and people want to hear those stories, man, my life's going to be pretty rich. Um, so I, I don't take that for granted. I, I, I cherish those those stories and those opportunities. But for me, um, and, and this was back in the 80s, I was still in college, and Stevie Ray Vaughan came to uh, uh, Memorial Hall in uh, Chapel Hill and um, didn't have tickets, really wanted to go, uh, dead broke like any college student. Uh, tickets were going for three and four times what the uh, 
uh, asking price was, walked up, the university had held back maybe a 50 tickets to then discourage scalping so that it kind of undermined the, the, the value for the scalpers. Right. Bought them at face value, went in. Uh, it was like, I don't think it was air conditioned at the time. It was hundreds of degrees in there. It was burning up hot and sat in there, had, you know, okay seats. And um, Stevie Ray comes out, hits the first chord, and then power goes out in the whole place. Oh, my gosh. And so we're sitting there in about 150 degrees, um, my two buddies and I, and it's totally dark. You couldn't see the hand in front of you. Uh, you, you couldn't really get out because it, it, the exit ways probably should should have been lit better. It, it was really tough. So we just like, hey, we're just going to gut it out. So we sat there for an hour and a half sweating and, and smelling. I mean, it was, you know, it, just, it, it was absolutely awful. Uh, man, that dude came on and he put on the best show. He had just uh, 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 kicked uh, Drug Habit and talked a lot about that. Very inspirational. Obviously, the music was incredible. Um, and, you know, played his ass off. Excuse me. I'm not sure if I can say yeah, ass off. You can. Okay, you good. can. I, and if, worse. We should have said that before. <laughs> I'd, I'd have let loose a lot more. Um, but, man, played his ass off. And uh, and then, man, within the next six months, he died in, in the crash. Right. And uh, so, it, for me, you know, I still kind of, my arms kind of chill up a little bit talking about that that's a good show yeah that's awesome that's awesome was that a big pl- i mean was that a university like hall was that like 800 seats or it was yeah maybe 800 to a thousand i think yeah something like very yeah. small yeah that's great that's great well that's it i mean thank you for coming in we appreciate it um if you have any stories you want to tell while we got a hot mic on you the floor is yours. No pressure. But well, no, this uh, is the part where I get to turn it around on you, right? I get to ask you some of the uh, the yeah, five. We can uh, we can end it here. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Doug Daniel. Super nice guy and a pleasure to chat with. Um, we've got to have him back soon. Uh, but before we do, we want to talk to you. If you're a touring artist passing through Charlotte, North Carolina, anytime in the near or distant future, contact us at dill at com, And let's talk about bringing you in. And uh, for those of you who want to say hello, give us feedback or you know shower us with uh, profanities, you can also write us at the same address. Hope you like what you hear so far. We're learning as we go, so take it easy on us. And uh, we look forward to doing it all again next week. We'll see you then. Was uh, that was our conversation with Doug Daniel? Thank you, Doug. Uh, super nice guy and a pleasure to chat with. I guess uh, we should definitely have him back. Uh, as I said in the setup, there was a couple of topics I would have dug in deep, but I uh, had to keep things moving along. A um, couple of notes. Uh, I guess we should uh, reach out to um, anyone who wants to be on the show. We'd love to have a touring artist that's coming through Charlotte, North Carolina. So if you are a touring artist and want to come on the show and talk about uh, your uh, your journey through this business, uh, we'd love to have you. Um, you can contact us at booking at rockonomicspodcast.com. And uh, let's find a time and a place to uh, chat. Um, for those of you who want to uh, say hello or uh, give us feedback or uh, you know call us you know obscene names, um, you can reach us at uh, my email dill at rockonomicspodcast.com. 
And finally, if you're a sponsor on the show, or if you want to be a sponsor on the show, I should say, uh, contact us at drumroll. Yes, sponsor at rockonomicspodcast.com. Uh, we hope you like what you hear so far. We're kind of learning as we go and uh, hopefully getting better as we go. But uh, we look forward to doing it all again next week. So we will uh, talk to you then. Later. <laughs>